morning I've got a message called Into the Fire. Um, and we're going to be looking at uh, a popular story that um, if you've been around the church for any period of time, you've probably heard this story. And if you grew up going to Sunday school, um, you've definitely heard the story because it's one that's talked about quite often uh, as, as a young child because it's, it, it's kind of a fascinating story and it's entertaining. Um, and, and we're going to get to that. But before you do that, uh, if, you, if you've got a heartbeat, then you have a story about a time when you face fear or a time when you've been afraid before. And this morning, uh, if, if, if I was mean enough, I could put up a particular picture on the screen, and I bet that everyone would get scared this morning. But I'm not going to do that, don't worry. But if, if you guys had to guess, if there was one picture I could put up on the screen that might scare a number of people, could anybody guess what that picture might be? Christ on the cross, what? What was that? What did you say back there, Olivia? I just said my face. Your face? No. That's not nice. No, but uh, a, a lot of people are scared of clowns, right? A lot of people are scared of clowns. If I put a, a picture of a clown up on there, many people would be scared of that. And that's not something to be ashamed of. I mean, there's a lot of people that have a fear of clowns, and that's okay. There's a lot of people that have fears of of all kinds of things today. There's all kinds of different phobias that exist in our world today. Um, and the actual fear of clowns is called chlorophobia. Uh, there's all kinds of phobias, like I said. Um, abutophobia is the fear of cleaning yourself. And as a former youth pastor, I think there's a lot of junior hires that had that phobia because apparently they didn't really like to clean themselves that much. Um, or acrophobia is a fear of being touched by your appliance. Um, I, you know, there's all kinds of weird ones. Or um, arachophobia is a fear of peanut butter being stuck to the roof of your mouth. Right? There's, you could look up phobias on Google. Like, if you just like literally search like phobia lists on Google, like there's a phobia for everything you could ever imagine, and you're like. Why does there even need to be a phobia for that? I don't know, but somebody decided that there needed to be a phobia for such and such a thing. But now, many of you, you know me pretty well, and I, I know you pretty well, and you probably know the person that's sitting next to you pretty well, but if I ask you to turn to the, next, to the person next to you and tell them something that's maybe an embarrassing fear that you have, some of you might be able to do that, some of you might not. But we all have something that we're fearful of or something that we're afraid of in our lives. And the great theologian, Jerry Seinfeld, once said, the number one fear of Americans is public speaking. Second is death. So at your funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than the one standing on the stage giving the eulogy. That's what the great theologian, Jerry Seinfeld, said. Right? So, but all, all kidding aside, most of the time, the fuel to our fear is a lack of faith. Usually the reason we're scared of something is because of a lack of faith that we have. We let fear drive our decisions, not the faith that we have in believing that we can overcome whatever it is that we're afraid of at the time. 
What I want to help us discover this morning is to learn how to walk by faith in a fear-filled world. There's a lot of people that walk and they're crippled by fear instead of walking in faith. So how to walk by faith in a fear-filled world. So if you want, you can feel free to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3 this morning. Because that's what we're going to be focusing on. Is Daniel chapter 3 and then we'll have um, some supporting scripture as well. So as I said, as you're turning there, many of you have heard this story before. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the burning fire. Many of you have heard this story before. Maybe you're going, I've heard this story. I, I've watched the VeggieTales movie 47 times. I know what happens. I know the story inside and out. I want to encourage you this morning. Please don't tune out. Listen, I, I, want, to, I want to look at it from a fresh perspective. Give it another chance this morning and see if you don't learn something different, take something different away from it than you have before. And I want to also acknowledge that the circumstances that were presented in Daniel chapter 3 aren't a whole lot different than the circumstances that maybe we're facing in our culture today. Because the context of the book of Daniel that Daniel and his friends are facing is living in a climate of political unrest. What kind of climate are we living in today? A climate of political unrest. What's happening in two days from now? An election, right? We kind of live in a climate where there's political unrest that's going on today. And I'm not trying to make this a political debate or a, a political sermon, but I'm just pointing out a fact that the climate we live in today, there's unrest that's taking place. We're also living in that, that, that kind of time. There may have been fear as to what was going to happen two years ago. What's going to happen if Donald Trump gets elected? What happens if he doesn't get elected? What are people going to think if he builds a wall? Will we be safe if he doesn't build a wall? And in our lives, we too must navigate the fearful circumstances and potentially fearful consequences that come our way. This is also, as I mentioned earlier in our announcement, this is my shameful plug. In two days, please do get out and vote. Please do get informed about your decisions of who to vote for and, 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 and where you stand as far as what your beliefs are. And do participate in the election. Because if, if you're going you're gonna to sit here and you're going to complain about who ended up where, my first question is going to be, did you even vote? Because many people are going to sit here and they're going to complain and then they didn't even show up and vote. So please do your part, be diligent, uh, and, and please do get out and, and, and vote. It's not just every four years when it's a presidential election that it's important to vote. Each and every year it's important to get out and, and do your civic duty. And so that's my shameless plug. Please get out on Tuesday and vote and be a part of um, our civic responsibility and do that. So if we walk by faith in a fear-filled world, the question is, what should make our lives distinct as followers of Christ in the midst of fearful circumstances? The question doesn't refer to the world distinct as eternal differences, like what you wear or what movies you do or don't attend, but rather asks internally what makes us different. How do we live faithfully for Christ in the midst of political unrest? So we're going to look at Daniel chapter 3, and this one, this portion is not going to be on the screen. And so this you'll have to read through in your Bible, or you'll have to listen. We'll come back to certain portions of it, but the rest of it will be on the screen behind me. But going ahead in Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 8, 
But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king! You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then God, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Now, I dropped this into the middle of the story. So I want to give us a little bit of a context here of what's going on. So we're going to back up a little bit. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 gives us some context. During the year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So Babylon has taken over Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is no longer under Israel's control, but it's been taken over by Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. So the Israelites are under Babylonian control at this point, under King Nebuchadnezzar's control. And then we see in verse 3 of chapter 1 of Daniel, the king ordered uh, Aspenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who have been brought to Babylon as captives. What we need to know is that King Nebuchadnezzar had taken captive young men of Judah, like Daniel, and some of his friends, whom this book is written about. That's the setting. The young men of Judah are taken captive and living under a pagan ruler, King Nebuchadnezzar, and in the nation of Babylon at this time. Once they're there, King Nebuchadnezzar gets a big head, right? He gets prideful because he goes, we just took over Jude, or Jerusalem and Israel, and he gets this big head, he gets prideful. And what happens when people get prideful? They start thinking, hey, I need to build something and to, to, so people see me and they understand who I am. So he, he builds this massive statue of gold. And he says everyone needs to stop and they need to bow down to the statue when they hear the instruments begin to play. And it wasn't an option, it wasn't a suggestion. When the music would play, you had to bow down. It was a decree. There was messages sent out far and wide to all of his officials, governors, advisors. This is the law. When you hear the music, you bow down towards the statue. If you don't, you get thrown into the furnace. That's what happens. 
So the first principle I want to pull out of our, our story this morning is this. A life of faith will be marked with conflict. A life of faith will be marked with conflict. So looking back at verses 13 and 14 of our main passage from Daniel chapter 3 this morning, it reads again, Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage in order that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods and to worship the gold statue that I have set up? So who were these three guys? Who are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? This is the biggest platform in all of Scripture that we find these three guys. We don't find them anywhere else outside of the book of Daniel. But what, what is their background? Who are they? Well, we see from verse 12 that they're Jews. They're part of the exile from Babylon with Daniel. Now, many of us, we know who Daniel is best from Daniel in the lion's den. We know that story of Daniel in the lion's den, and that's, that's where we, we, we get to know who he is. But the first six chapters of the book of Daniel deal with his life in the fact of this political unrest. That's where we're learning about who Daniel is. In fact, at Daniel's request, these three guys get promoted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, at Daniel's request. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 49, it says, At Daniel's request, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were promoted to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon. That means they served as leaders and administrators in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, despite the fact that they were Jews, which might explain the king's reign. So again, we've got Jews who are serving in leadership in Babylon. In exile, we've got Jews serving in leadership. You also might be asking yourself, where is Daniel at this time? Why isn't Daniel having to bow down in front of the statue? Where, where is he at? Well, many scholars think uh, his work had taken him out of the area, out of the region at this time, or he was in the king's court. He was with the king at this time, but we know that his integrity and commitment to the Lord wasn't compromised because he stood up for the Lord when he faced the threat of being thrown into the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6. So we know that he wouldn't have bowed down to the statue at this time either. So these young men were living a life of faith and facing conflict. The conflict that we see right here was a conflict between the king and them. Now when you and I think about conflict most frequently, what do we think of? We think of interpersonal conflict, right? Like the conflict we see in verses 13 to 14. We can relate to this type of conflict. Conflict in our marriage, drama in our workplace, drama within our family. And the conflict that we see in, here in verses 13 and 14, but before we see conflict, we see a different kind of conflict. The other conflict is an internal conflict that happens in verses 11. The decree also states that those who refuse to obey will be thrown into a burning furnace. A law was issued that didn't line up with their values. So before they ever faced any, an external or interpersonal conflict, they had to wrestle with fear in the face of an eternal challenge to their values. It's no different in our time where lots of things fly in the face of our values and our culture. It's okay to just try this one time. It's not against the law, so what's wrong with it? 
No one else is going to know that I did it. So what, what's the big deal? These types of internal struggles will, and it can at sometimes show up in tangible conflicts. Most of us aren't in a verse 13 or 14 type of setting where we stand before the leader of a nation, right? Most of us aren't standing before President Trump or before a state governor or some type of official like that. I mean, the closest any of us, most of us have ever gotten before standing in front of a furnace is, is simply singeing our eyebrows because we stood too close to a fire. Stood too close to the grill, we were trying to light it, right? But many of us, we face verse 11 type internal conflicts all the time. So the questions we have to answer are, do I want to live? Or do I want to be faithful? What satisfies my heart more? Do I want to live or be faithful? Because that, that's what they said. I know that if I don't bow down, I go into the fiery furnace. So do I want to live or do I want to be faithful? What's going to satisfy my heart more? To know that I was faithful to God? Or that I simply got to live? So there's this misnomer going around that if you follow Christ, that there's an absence of conflict. And that's not true. Just because you follow Christ doesn't mean that there is not going to be any conflict in your life. A life of faith will be marked with times of conflict. Jesus reminds us in John 16, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. When we face internal conflict, the temptation is to ask, what do I want the outcome to be? And we're going to look at this in just a second, but the tendency is for us to control outcomes. That's the wrong question. The right question is, what would it look like to honor God in this situation? What would it look like to honor God in this situation? So these guys are staring death by fire in the face. If you'd been in their shoes, how likely would you have been to bow down to the king's statue? Don't forget that not only were these guys facing death, but they were separated from their family. They were placed in a position of authority in Babylonian kingdom. And, and let's be honest, it, it just life really wasn't all that good for them at this point in time. It was a tough situation. These men could have justified disobedience by saying, We'll just bow. It just won't really mean anything. It'll just be a simple act of disobedience, but it won't have any value to it. The position that we hold in this kingdom demands obedience. Where is God anyway? Do we still believe in Him? A common way that we justify our own compromises is to say, but, but God knows my heart. God knows my heart. So even if I do this, God knows that my heart didn't really want to do it, so... It's okay. The problem with that is if my life is simply the overflow of my heart, then the greatest indicator of what's going on in my heart is the way I live my life. <laughs> what does that mean for us, then, practically as followers of Christ? It means that it's our job to live our life in a way that's countercultural, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Before your faith is publicly tested, your values are more than likely going to be challenged internally. 
So we've all experienced internal conflict. When you come to that point, you have to realize it. Number two, that a life of faith obeys before the outcome is realized. That a life of faith obeys before the outcome is actually always realized. This comes from verses 16 through 18 of Daniel chapter 3, which reads, We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Do you see what they did there in verse 18? They gave up control. They gave up control of the situation that was going on here. And it, it's our natural human tendency to always try to control the outcome of each and every situation. We think if we don't, it's irresponsible at best and scary at worst. And let's be honest, myself included, we have a hard time giving up control. Because we don't know what's going to happen. If we give up control, we don't know. If I give up control, who am I going to end up sitting next to? You know, it, we just, we begin to, all these questions are coming to our mind. You know, it, what am I going to end up doing if I give up control? What can things look like? But a life of faith obeys before the outcome is realized. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Here in Daniel 3.18, we see these young men's choice to obey, despite having no idea what the outcome would be yet. Back in Daniel 3, they didn't serve the Lord because he had assured them of being rescued. Yes, they knew that it was a possibility, but that isn't why they were serving him. They didn't say that. They didn't say, we will obey God if he rewards us for doing it. Right? We, we hear people say all the time that I, they make promises and say, God, I will do this if you do this. We, we try to persuade God into things, into changing circumstances. But that isn't truly believing God. That, that's trying to negotiate with God in situations. True faith is believing God before a situation is fully realized. True faith confesses the Lord and obeys Him regardless of the consequences. So again, let's make this practical for us today. What is it that stops us from living by biblical faith on a daily basis? What is it that stops us from living by biblical faith on a daily basis? It's fear. It's fear. Fear is a form of not having full confidence or faith in God and His character. Fear is actually, a, it's a subtle form of unbelief. Faith isn't just wishful thinking. Faith is obeying God based on one's confidence in God's character. Faith is, is based on one's confidence in the character of God. That's exactly what we see modeled by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our job is to obey God and leave the results in His hands. So how do I win the battle against fear on a daily basis, on a practical level? Well, we have to come to an understanding that our fear is actually a much greater issue. It's an issue that's an all-on assault on the character of God. 
So practically speaking, what are some ways that we can win this battle? There are three different things that I want to share this morning real quickly. Number one, we renew our mind around the character of God. We renew our mind around the character of God. The harder we believe or have faith doesn't sustain us. What sustains us is the object of our faith. What sustains us is the object of our faith. I can believe as strongly as I want that the moon is made of green cheese. No matter how hard I believe, it doesn't become true. So what is true about God's character that we can know will help us put our faith in Him? Okay? Number one, He's a personal God. Philippians 4.19 says, And in, in the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from His glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Number two, He's a sovereign God. Colossians 1.17, He existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. Number three, He's a faithful God. Lamentations 3, 22-23 Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And number four, He is for us. Romans 8, 28 And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes for them. Not favorable circumstances, but for our spiritual benefit. So how do we know that we can have faith in God? Because He's a personal God. Because He's a sovereign God. Because He's a faithful God. And because He is for us. We can renew our mind around the character of God. Another way that we can defeat fear in our lives on a practical way on a daily basis is number two, to grow our love of Him. To grow in our love of God. One of my favorite verses 1 John 4, 18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Where there is perfect love, there is no room for fear. Jesus cast out all fear. Long before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced the pressures of verse 18 or even verses 13 and 14, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had determined in verse 11 when they were challenged with the decree how they were going to respond when their core convictions and values were challenged. For us, just as these young men, these types of responses don't just happen on the spot. It's an overflow of an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. The decision can be made easier when it's made out of the overflow of an intimate relationship with God, rather than when you're standing in front of the fire having to face it in the moment. And number three, living with an eternal perspective. The Apostle Peter mentions it in 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were foreigners in the land in Babylon, in the world we live in, Peter uses the phrase, keep away from, while some other translations say abstain. Why? Because these worldly desires wage war against our souls. Our hope isn't to be here. We are to treat the world as if our residency in it is temporary. We know where our home is. We know our residency is in heaven. That's our eternal home. Fear tells us that we're not temporary residents of this world. That our permanent home is here. Fear tries to tie us down to this world. 
And we know that's not the case. Jesus says that our home is with him and the Father in heaven. So in conclusion, we know that we can overcome fear through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Fear is something that for many of us has held us back from, from truly becoming all that God has for us to be. For some of us, it has kept us from taking the first step of even coming into relationship with Jesus. For some of us, we've come into relationship with Jesus, but it's held us right there, it's held us captive, and we've never taken a step further. So this morning, as we, we close out with prayer, I just want to encourage you that whatever fear you may have, whatever it, it is in your life that, that has maybe been crippling you or has you stuck in a place, I want to encourage you this morning to ask the, the Lord and, and to come before Jesus and ask Him to help you to defeat that fear, because that fear does not have control over you. It has no reign because Jesus has already provided the victory over that fear. And so this morning, you can find that victory in your life. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to close in prayer. And so, Father, we just thank you this morning for who you are. We thank you, God, for what your word says. God, we thank you that we know we can come before you. God, that you have, you have shown us through your word. God, that you are a faithful God, that you are a sovereign God, that you are a God who is always fighting for us at all times. That God, that you are here for us in each and every situation. And God, I pray that you would help us to continue to, help us to renew our minds in that way, God, to remember who you are as our Lord and Savior. God, you would help us to continue to, to fall deeper in love with you each and every day. God, in our personal relationship with you, God, that in our heart, God, that, that love that we have, God, that simply our life would be an overflow of that. So, God, that when we're faced with these internal conflicts, God, that we would, we would turn to you, God, and look to you. God, in these external conflicts that when they come up, God, it would be, we would know exactly how to respond because... Internally, God, we've already made the correct decisions. We've already made the correct responses and knowing that, God, we want to do what brings honor to you. God, we want to do what is right in your eyes. Father, we don't want to live fearfully in this world anymore because, God, we know that this is just a temporary place. God, we know where our permanent residence lies. God, and that's with you in heaven. And so, Lord, I pray today for those that may be living in fear, God, those who feel like they're stuck and trapped, God, I pray in Jesus' name against the lie that the devil is telling them that they believe that, God. Pray that you would break those chains and break that lie, God, that has them crippled and stuck in that mindset. God, I pray that you would help them to find freedom and deliverance from that idea. God, Jesus, that we would know that you have already delivered and brought freedom to each of us in our lives. Lord, we thank you for that freedom. We thank you for that deliverance. God, I just pray today that you would help each of us to walk in confidence and boldness, God, in what you have called us to do. Lord, as we go out now, Lord, I pray you help us to be light in the darkness around us. God, help us to reach out, 
to our neighbors, God, to our coworkers, to our family members, God, to those around us, that we may be an example, God, that they may see you through us. Lord, we just thank you for all that you're doing in and through us, in this church, in this community, around the range. God, be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.